Now, the worship service of Avon United Methodist Church, located at 130 Genesee Street in Avon, New York. Pastor Keith Griswold. Welcome to worship with the Avon United Methodist Church. Good morning. morning. I want to welcome you all to worship today, and even if there's a little snow outside, we're doing good in here, right? Nice to have you here. We want to go through announcements. Tomorrow night, Lenten study begins. It's called Savior, and we're going to be looking at the cross and what the scriptures tell us about the meaning of the cross and our salvation. Tuesday, Lenten luncheon, that's our Tuesday this week, and so I'm going to be doing the presentation devotional, so if you're interested in that, we'd love to have you there at 1145 on Tuesday. Other announcements. Right in the back, there's a box for food pantry items. Again, we're collecting for Easter. So boxes of scalped potatoes and large instant puddings. The Interfaith Sojourners Fund is being expanded and called Henry's Hope. And we'll be offering to people in need some gas cards. They're $20 gas cards, which I know doesn't get you really far, but at least it helps a little bit. So the referrals, if at this point, if anyone knows someone who is really in dire need, you can make the referral to me and we can help through the interfaith. I just want to welcome Grace Wang and her husband David again this week. We appreciate her coming to sub for us and playing her beautiful music. She'll be here again next week, and then the first week in March, our new organist, Alan Walk, will be starting. Anyone else? Joys, concerns this morning? We're going to welcome those who join us online and those who are on the radio. I would ask all of us to please have an attitude of prayer as we begin this morning's worship service. Please join me in the call to worship. Oh, Lord. I give my life to you. I trust in you, my God. Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God of Remember, O Lord, your compassion and unfailing love, which you have shown from long ages past. The Lord is good and does what is right. God shows the proper God leads the humble in doing right, teaching them his way. Those who fear the Lord, he will show them the path they should choose. Our hymn is Lead On, O King Eternal.
Good morning. We have two scriptures this morning, one out of the Old Testament and one out of the New. Genesis 9, 8 through 17. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, and all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the cloud, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the cloud, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. And out of the book of 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 18 through 22, for Christ also suffered once for sins the righteous or the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience for God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. The word of the Lord. Yeah. 
are stories that are easy to put yourself in. At least there are stories that I find it easy to put myself in. Every summer between ninth grade and high school and a couple of years out of college, one of my summer readings was always to read J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings. And I could associate with Frodo, the hero, or Aragorn, or Pippin and Murray. You know, could associate with them to one degree or another. And while I like the movie version, unfortunately, like all books turned into movies, when you see the character on the screen, what you're really seeing is the character through the vision of the director, not from within your own mind's eye. So if you ever read a novel where you could just find yourself slipping in to one of the characters... You're reading the novel and it's like, yeah, I could see myself, you know, and, and you just can get really into that one person that you're reading about in the novel. Now, what about when you read the Bible? Are there characters, people in the Bible that you can relate to? For me, I relate really easily to Peter. Peter is a man who is convoluted. He wants to follow Jesus. But he also has some major issues when it comes to putting it all on the line for Jesus. I can relate to Peter because of the missteps and the falls and the screw-ups that he did that you read about. But then I also see in Peter what he becomes after the resurrection, who we read about in the book of Acts. And that gives me hope in what I can eventually become because of God's grace. One biblical hero that I have never been able to really connect with is Noah. I would probably take the blueprints for the ark and roll them out upside down, and instead of the ark, you would come up with the carrier dome. I am just technically inept, and when I see those exploded diagrams, I break out in a cold sweat. But besides my technical inabilities, another thing about Noah is, as you read about him, he's solid in his faith for God from the beginning. Think about it. He's called to build the ark long before there's any rain, long before there's a flood. He was there for months, living by faith, working on the ark. And then he and his family are saved in the ark because of that faith. What Bobby read for us, this is after he and his family have come through the flood. But Noah's story actually begins in chapter 7 of Genesis. There, this is what we're told. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. He walked faithfully with God. Noah is righteous. He is a man of faith from the beginning. But the people of his day are described this way. Now, the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. It's that corruption and that violence that leads God to the decision to flood the world, but to save Noah and his family and to start over again. And at some point, I think all of us face a Noah-like situation. We look around the world and we see corruption. We see violence. I mean, just look at this past week and the shooting in Kansas City. We see that and we realize this is not the way God intended for us to live. It's not the way God wants his world to be. We see this and we want salvation. 
We want to be saved from this corruption and this violence. So we ask the question that the rich young man came to Jesus and asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Or the jailer who comes to Paul and Silas when they're in jail and says to them, what must I do to be saved? And those kinds of questions should lead us to be asking another question. What is the way of salvation? Within the New Testament, we see that there is only one way, believing in Jesus. Again, consider Jesus' encounter with this rich young man and the question he asks about inheriting eternal life. And Jesus' response points to Jesus. After telling him to go and sell everything he owned and give it to the poor, then Jesus says to him, come, follow me. That's it. Our salvation, our eternal life is found in Jesus. And about 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, when Paul and Silas are there in that jail, and that jailer asks them the question, what must I do to be saved? Their answer is, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Belief in the crucified and resurrected Jesus. Have faith in what God did in and through Jesus, and that is the foundation of our salvation. Look again at what we just read from Peter. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. The water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. To believe is more than a mental agreement, more than just saying the right thing. To believe is to hear God's promise and then to respond by our actions. The belief in Jesus' life and his death, that's the essential. It's being taken from the death and the darkness of the sin and the corruption of this world and coming into the light of God's salvation and our eternal life. And Christian baptism points back to Noah. It points back to those in the ark who are saved. It points back to God's covenant with all the earth. Christian baptism points back to God's saving action of bringing the Hebrew slaves out of Egypt through the sea, making a covenant with them on Mount Sinai. And Christian baptism reminds us that God eventually does bring them to the the promised land through the Jordan River. We incorporate all of these claims when we stand at the baptismal font and we pray over the water. I don't know if you've ever paid attention to what the pastor prays when we have the water there before we pour it into the font, but these are the words. Eternal Father, when nothing existed but chaos, you swept across the dark waters and brought forth light. In the days of Noah, you saved those on the ark through water. After the flood, you set in the clouds a rainbow. When you saw your people as slaves in Egypt, you led them to freedom through the sea. Their children you brought through the Jordan to the land which you had promised. 
And by now, you are probably wondering why our readings for today and my message is so heavy on baptism. Well, here it is. Long ago, the 40 days of Lent was the time for new converts to prepare themselves to be baptized into the Christian faith. The water is a sign and a symbol of our coming into a covenant relationship with God, of receiving new life in Jesus. You see, being saved is a promise that has been given, and it is a promise that's received. God makes promises, and we know these promises as covenants, agreements between God and us. God makes the covenant with Noah and his family to never destroy the earth again by a flood. He makes a covenant with Abraham that if Abraham will get up and go to a promised land, he'll have that land and his children as well. God makes a covenant with Moses and the Hebrews to be in a saving relationship with them if they worship him alone and follow his commands. And then Jesus God the Father extends that offer of being saved to anyone and everyone who believes in Jesus. God makes that promise when he says that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes shall not perish but have eternal life. God promises if we confess our sins God is faithful, God is just, and God will forgive our sins. Our salvation depends on God's promises given to us. With that said, we also need to understand that being saved is a promise that we receive. We need to realize that God's promises are conditional. We see that in the covenants that God makes in the Old Testament. Just look at Abraham as an example. God says, if you pack up your family and you move a thousand miles to a land that I'm going to show you eventually, I'll give you as many descendants as there are stars in the sky. And Abraham believes them and then moves. He shows his faith by making that thousand mile journey. Promise was fulfilled because Abraham acted on it in faith. I want to make a statement here, and I want to make it with as much force as I possibly can. I want you all to hear this, okay? God loves us. God loves us if we are good and nice, or if we are mean and rotten. In his first letter, John tells us twice, God is love. Love is an essential part of God's nature. And we, humans, are the object of God's love. We need to realize that while we're here on earth, that we are the object of God's love. Now, here's the crazy thing about God's love. God loved Adolf Hitler as much as God loved Mother Teresa. The question is for any of us, do we accept God's love? Do we live into God's love? When a couple starts falling in love with each other, they want to express it. They want to spend the rest of their lives together. And there's a traditional process that's followed, right? Someone goes and buys an engagement ring and then offers it and says, will you marry me? 
The ring is the sign of his love, and she accepts it. She puts it on her finger and then takes a selfie and sends it to her parents and says, guess what happened to me? This gets repeated in the wedding ceremony when you exchange rings and you exchange vows. Here's the point I want to really highlight. One person initially has that sense of love for the other person, and they start to express it. But the person who's the object of that love also needs to receive it. They need to acknowledge that love. They need to accept it if there is going to be a loving relationship between the two of them. And it's true with us and God. We are the object of God's love. God has expressed this to us in numerous ways with the ultimate that we say as Christians in Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus is that sign of the promise that God loves you. The question is, do you receive it and do you live into it? Our salvation is more than a one-time experience. Just as marriage is more than a wedding ceremony. A marriage is a relationship where the two people grow and develop as much as you put yourself into it, the other one puts themselves into it. It is a growing in love. It is a growing in trust. The same with us and God. Because God is God and God is love. There's no growth on God's part. But for us, we need to grow into our love for God. We need to grow deeper in our trust for God. New Testament letter of Ephesians says this, We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. For him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. That's what you do as an individual. That's what we do collectively as the church. We grow and we build ourselves up in love. So let me try to tie all this together. We need to see that salvation is an ark of safety. Jesus began his ministry by proclaiming the good news of the arrival of God's kingdom. It came in a new and personal way when he was born. And where Jesus is, there is the kingdom. And that means there's our salvation. Mark begins his gospel Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. We've looked at that word before. Repent means to undergo a change of mind and feelings. As it relates to being saved, our salvation, it means we make Jesus the primary thing that we think about. So going back to Noah going back to his world that was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. But Noah, we're told, was righteous and walked faithfully with God. Here's the thing about God and repentance. If anyone in that time had given up their corruption, if they had given up their violence and turned and started to walk faithfully with God just like Noah, they would have repented and they would have found a place in the ark. Repentance in Noah's time, repentance in Jesus' time, repentance in the 21st century, it's all the same. 
It's undergoing a change of mind and heart and making God the center of your life. Peter once preached a sermon and he said this, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Changing our priorities in life, making Jesus the number one in our life, seeking forgiveness for the way we once lived, that is the way we enter into the ark of salvation that we find in Jesus. As we start to move through this season of Lent, I pray that we will use this time, these next 40 days, to go deeper in our connection with Jesus and grow deeper in love with God. Amen. I'm going to ask if you can, take your hymnal, we're going to sing, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. the Spirit that cleanses us and leads us in the path of Christ. Go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to the 10 a.m. service from the Avon United Methodist Church, located at 130 Genesee Street in the village of Avon. We hope that you have experienced the love of Jesus Christ during your time with us. We invite you to join us on the air weekly at 7.30 a.m. Sundays or in person at 10 a.m. Please visit us on the web at avonnyumc.org or call us at 226-8600. May God richly bless you.